Now, the scenarios of many of the Hallmark Christmas movies sort of have the same plot, if you haven't noticed, okay? It's usually like a pretty young career woman leaves, you know, New York City usually, a big city media job, reluctantly, and has to go to some little quaint, you know, beautiful little Christmas town in the middle of nowhere in a snowy village, and who has to pick her up but this hunk of a guy, right? This, like, hunk of a guy that's, like, rugged and a family man, and that, you know, he has, like, the perfect child, right? And, and that likes the girl. And, I mean, it just, it just all goes together. And so the career woman falls in love with this hunk of a family man, and the family man actually shows her the true meaning of family, and of Christmas. So, of course, after the will they or won't they or will they or won't they, okay, the two almost kiss, but they're always what? Humorously interrupted, right? They're just going for, to lock the lips right, and it's like, oh, hello, like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And so they're humorously interrupted, okay? And there's usually a miscommunication that happens between the two that arises. And so, you know, it's usually quickly resolved. And then the career woman passes up this lucrative job for the opportunity to absolutely stay in this quaint little town and bake cookies <laughs> for the rest of her life because she's with the rugged family man and his son, right? Now, let's look at this photo. Not me. Whatever. There you go. Only one hour and 58 minutes until they lock lips. Okay? Now, many a times they will hold off on the love interests, okay? And they just kiss in the last one to two minutes of the movie. Have you noticed that? Okay. So... Our, my oldest daughter uh, and I used to like to watch these uh, years ago, and of course, we'd be like, oh, there's only 10 minutes left, we haven't watched it. Oh, well, it's the best 10 minutes anyway, because then, you know, we'll be able to see them kiss, all right? So what happens is that it all works out, okay? And, and you picture it. There's usually some major problem, once again, that derails the female lead, like the parade float isn't going to be like in the Christmas parade or in the jamboree, and all hope is lost, and then the male lead saves the day, and of course they love each other, and alas, the awaited kiss comes with just two minutes left till the next Hallmark movie, right? And it just keeps going on and coming on. All right, one more quick video. I'm Prince Leopold of Cordenia. What? Hallmark Channel presents one of the 12 new originals of Christmas. He belongs with the royal, not a commoner. You might be surprised. That girl comes from a different world. She'll never be able to fit into ours. She makes me happy. Lacey Chabert. This is like a fairy tale. Jane Seymour. I can't remember a better holiday. A royal Christmas. On Hallmark Channel, the heart of festive. Okay, I don't care who you are. A Royal Christmas came out in 2014, okay, and I've watched it at least 62 times. <laughs> okay, I've watched it, okay. I mean, how many times can you watch it? Like, over and over again. I mean, this is the Cinderella story over and over and over again, except it's with royalty. It's with a British accent, right? How can you not watch that? So I'll be honest with you. For all their cheesiness, I love Hallmark. Christmas movies. Despite how formulaic the movies might be, and they are, we eat them up. And I'll tell you that why we eat them up. In fact, Hallmark Channel posted record numbers 
for viewership during the Christmas season last year, reaching more than 72 million viewers in the demographic, that's you and me, 25 to 54 women. Top, 72 million, okay? And so it's the highest rated station for the primary demographics of women, 25 54. And so the success of the Countdown to Christmas, all these different movies, all right, launched a real profitable spinoff for Sirius XM. So now there's 24-7 music on, as well as there are behind the scenes uh, of all the Countdown to Christmas, as well as there's actually engagement rings now put out by Hallmark, which are shown, you know, prominently in the movie, all right? So what is it that makes them so irresistible? They satisfy. They satisfy, if only in a shallow way, they satisfy many, many of the desires that we would like during the holiday season. Viewers will never hear in a Hallmark movie, Happy Holidays. They say Merry Christmas. They sing Christmas carols like Joy to the World and Away in a Manger and Angels We Have Heard on High. They actually show nativity scenes. And they actually bring in the real reason for the season. Though you're not going to expect a lot of other things like that, because usually the signs of Christmas are building gingerbread houses together, decorating the trees, going out and finding the Christmas tree, giving gifts, sitting in front of a cozy fireplace. But Hallmark movies also speak to the desire that we have, the wholesome desires that we have to spend time with the people that we love. Even if we can't be home for Christmas, Hallmark movies fill us with this warmth of decorating the Christmas tree together, of baking sugar cookies together, of making gingerbread houses with our families. And the small town communities that are portrayed in the Hallmark Christmas movies in which neighbors actually know one another they offer some respite for us from the increasing sense of isolation that we have from each other. But the real magic, beside the fake snow usually, and the cherub-faced actresses, right, lies in the sense of what we desire most at Christmas. We set our busyness aside to spend time with the people that we love. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that we are here tonight, and we actually set aside the busyness, God, just to be here and to steep in you. Thank you that we can be here to celebrate you coming and stepping out of eternity and into time for us. Thank you that we know what Christmas is about. Thank you that it is about you, the Christ child, going from your crib to your cross for us. And so tonight I ask, Lord God, that you would, Holy Spirit, you would speak in general in and through me, but specifically to each heart of each precious woman that's here tonight. You know them more than they know themselves. You love them. You desire for them to grow up in you, to have a relationship in you, to have that abundant life in you right now. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, however you need to work, whether it's to encourage, whether it's to convict, whether it's to comfort, 
whether it's to bring joy, repentance, whatever it is, God. I'm asking that you would do that in and through my voice this evening. Because we certainly don't need another speaker, God. We need you. And so speak, Lord, because we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? See, Christmas love goes way, way deeper than a Hallmark kind of love, all right? That's where the sequel comes in. That's the sequel, right? In other words, it's, it's the progression. It's the follow-up. It's the result of God's love absolutely coming down at Christmas, and that's where it begins. It's not receiving God's amazing love only through his son, Jesus, who stepped out of eternity into time. It goes further than that. He stepped out of eternity into time, into Mary's womb. He became flesh for us so he could die. That was his purpose for coming. He would fulfill his purpose by dying on a cruel cross for us. And he knew that before he stepped out of eternity into time. And you have to remember, in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were always together in perfect union, in a perfect love relationship. And that one minute before or one minute after God's appointed time, Jesus stepped out of eternity into time for you and me so we could have a love relationship and he could absolutely get rid of the sin barrier between God the Father and us. And then you and I are supposed to live this kind of love. And then we're supposed to give this kind of love away. God's love. It's called agape love. It's called unconditional love. His love that flows in us and to us and through us. That's the sequel. That's the sequel. The Bible describes this in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that's Christmas, so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, that's a cross, for us, for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. See, the central theme of the Bible, right? B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. The absolute theme of the Bible is that our majestic, all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly holy God is passionately in love with us. Imperfect, sometimes openly rebellious, frequently indifferent people like you and me. He's madly in love with us. He's passionately in love with us. Listen to the bleak picture from Romans 3 that he paints of the human race. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one 
who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Did you see how many times? No one, not even one, no one, no one, no one, not even one. Six times in three verses. We can't even measure up. We are flawed because of sin. Little tiny S, great big I, little tiny N. Sin. We are fallen creatures, Isaiah says. And even our best attempts at goodness, he says, are as filthy rags. And since we're all women here tonight, those are menstrual rags. That's how filthy those are. That's what he's talking about. Our goodness as filthy rags in comparison to the absolute holiness of God. And then my favorite two words, but God. But God. He loves us anyway, even to the extent of wanting to adopt us as his own. And that's one of my favorite words, adoption, because both of our daughters are wonderfully adopted. He says in 1 John 3, 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. And that is what I am. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. That word lavished means give in great amounts, unlimited amounts, great amounts. When I would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the kids, right, I wouldn't just swipe a little peanut butter on there. I would lavish peanut butter on there. I mean, that's a good half inch, nice, big, thick peanut butter with jelly on top of it. And they'd bite into that and the peanut butter would be all over their teeth. That's lavishing it. And they would know how much I love them by how much I'd lavish that peanut butter on there. All the other kids at school would have like a little swipe on it and they're like, Look at mine, right, with this lavish peanut butter. That's how every time I think about how great the Father's love is for us, that he lavishes on us, I think about those PBJs. So while you and I are unlovely, we're not unloved. We're unlovely, but we're not unloved. And, you know, deep down inside, we all desperately want to be loved, hence the popularity of Hallmark Christmas movies. Did you know that love can actually make a person grow physically, like, more attractive, like, more lovely? For instance, psychologists tell us that the excitement of being in love increases your heart rate so your face glows, your lips look more red, and those circles under your eyes well, they actually become less noticeable. And those heightened emotions of love cause your pupils to dilate so that your eyes look brighter and clearer. But you know what we often don't appreciate is what genuine love is all about. Genuine love. What does that look like? Because our understanding of love is just as flawed as we are. We tend to embrace the kind of love that looks for something or looks for someone to love. That's worth loving. A Hallmark kind of love. And the Greeks called this kind of love eros, E-R-O-S. And our first response when I know when you hear this word eros is you think erotic and you think sexual love. 
Okay, but the definition of eros love is the kind of love I give to anything that satisfies my desires, wins my admiration, or fulfills my appetites. Notice the accent on my. Anything that satisfies my desires, wins my admiration, or fulfills my appetites. And we learn about this kind of Eros love early in our lives. Studies show that adults coo and smile at pretty babies more than they do at plain babies. In fact, Karen Lee Thorpe, she's an author, and she's actually the senior editor for Nav Press Bible Studies. She notes that even children's stories reinforce this flawed kind of love. Listen to what she writes. The prince was not enraptured with Cinderella's intelligent, sensitive conversation. He was smitten by her looks, her wardrobe, and her teeny tiny feet. Snow White and Sleeping Beauty netted their men while they were comatose. <laughs> and Rapunzel, well, she spent 20 years alone in a tower and never had a bad hair day. <laughs> See, Eros is the kind of love that grows out of need, that grows out of admiration, that grows out of desire. And that's not all necessarily bad because it's good that a baby loves her mom because her mom is her, the source of milk and essential care. And it's good for a husband to celebrate the beauty of his wife. Right, honey? <laughs> so Eros is not all bad. It's not all bad. It's just, listen, listen to this. It's just that it's not a love that's strong enough to build your life on because we are a flawed, unlovely people. It's not strong enough to build your life on when you're a flawed, unlovely person. You see, Eros can trap us into this never-winning contest to prove that we're lovable. Eros requires us to be smart enough, to be pretty enough, to be thin enough, to be healthy enough, to be smart enough, to be spiritual enough, to deserve being loved. As human beings, flawed by our human nature, what we need is a stronger, we need a purer type of love. The kind of love that creates value in the one that is loved. And this is the kind of love that God gave for you and me. It's a love beyond reason. It makes no human sense to love the unlovely. But that's exactly what God did and what he does. In fact, this kind of love is why God created us in the first place. God didn't create us out of need. He created us out of his love. C.S. Lewis once said, God who needs nothing, loves into existence holy, superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. But you know, the fullest extent of God's love was not seen so much in the decision to create us. It was seen when we disobeyed him and became sinful and unlovely, and he still chose to love us. Romans 5 puts it this way. Paul says, While we were still powerless, 
Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates our, his own love for us in this. While we were still putrid, stinking, rotten sinners, okay, that's Margot's message, all right? While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love has no conditions. It's unconditional love. It's a love that's undeserved. It's a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that is seen in our God who loved us even though it cost him greatly to do so. And he not only wants us to know that he loves us in this unreasonable way, he commands us. He commands us to embrace this irrational kind of love for each other as well. That's the sequel part. Oswald Chambers said, there is only one being, capital B, who loves perfectly, and that is God. Yet the New Testament distinctly states that we are to love as God does, and that's unconditionally. So let's look at unconditional love for a minute. Unconditional love is built on three basic truths. And the first one is, it cheers for one another. Unconditional love cheers for one another. This means when you love someone in the way that God loves, we have hopes and wishes and dreams for them. We're in their corner. We want them to do well. And Paul describes this aspect of God's love when he writes in Philippians 2 that God desires that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and deprived, excuse me, depraved generation in which you shine like stars in this universe. You shine like stars in the universe. You get to be the shiny ones. And it's wonderful to be loved this way, to know that you have someone on your side. And to think that that someone is a capital S, that it's God, it's absolutely him. Someone who believes in your potential, someone who sees your potential. Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's cheering you on. He's applauding your steps. He's shouting your name. God is for you. He believes we will become all he has created us to be. My mom used to say to me, and it was, she would um, quote Philippians 1.6. And she said, you know, Margo, God has begun a good work in you. And he will complete it. You may come kicking and screaming if you want to. But he will complete it. And she was right. Because being for someone is deeper than just wanting to spare them pain. Unconditional love is a willingness to warn, to reprove, or confront when necessary. Unconditional love is a willingness to warn, reprove, or confront when necessary. I'll read you an excerpt from my book about my mom. Mom taught me that when life bumps into you, it's what's already inside that spills out. Mom would hold a glass of water and say, Margo, what's going to spill out of this glass if I bump into it? I'd answer, water. That's right, honey, because water is already inside that glass. 
Her eyes twinkled and her mouth curved upward as she placed her hand on mine as if to say, be careful with what you fill your life with. Be careful with what you fill yourself with. And when life bumped and jarred and blasted into her, it was evident to all that she would overflow with Jesus, his power, his wisdom, his strength, his authority, his mercy, his grace, his peace, his unconditional love. If only I would have listened. I was being given wisdom that was pure and peace-loving right from above from my precious God-given mom. I tried to banter Jesus away, but the more I wanted to be right in my own eyes, the more my mom would pray. Of course she did. It was evident she was entreating God Almighty to show himself to me since she knew one of his names as the self-revealing God. Continual stop signs would pop into my life as if God himself were calling out to me, here I am, Margo, here I am, Margo. It seemed at every turn I would bump into him. And at times I felt like he was playing hide and seek with a two-year-old. Because while playing that childhood game, you wouldn't hole up in the basement so the toddler had no chance of finding you. No, you'd allow yourself to be revealed ever so often by calling out to the running the wrong way youngster. That's exactly what the hound of heaven Jesus did with me, except every time he revealed himself, I ran from him, not to him. After all, my security came from my image, my relationships, my career, my health, my wealth. Those were false securities. I was secure in my false securities. But thankfully, God knew me more than I knew myself and never stopped pursuing me in all of his loving kindness. Just like he'll never stop pursuing you. Hebrews 12.6 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. And in Romans 14, Paul encourages us to admonish one another in love. In another translation, I love it, it says, Love one another enough to keep each other on the right road. Love one another enough to keep each other on the right road. And isn't it great to have someone who loves you enough to be honest with you when you're doing something that will hurt you? Like my mom did with me. God loves us enough to discipline us when we need it. His commands are positive. His discipline is always for our good. In Deuteronomy 32, God absolutely referred to his commands by saying, these are not idle words for you. They are your life. By obeying them, you will live long. JJ, who's our amazing videographer, as well he's got the big blue out there, right? The big blue. He was a paratrooper in the army in Vietnam. That means that he jumped out of helicopters in enemies' territories. He told me he had to walk trails full of enemy-laden, they were called booby traps, and his point man knew 
the trail and could spot the booby traps that were hidden along the trails. So would J.J. say to his point man, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want you to impose your ways on me. Of course not. He'd be a fool to do that. And when God gives us a command, when he disciplines us, it's out of his absolute, passionate, unconditional love for us. God can never, ever express his will toward us unless it's an expression of his perfect love. He wants us to avoid painful consequences. And he wants us to reach our highest potential that he knows we can in this life. So, in his loving discipline, God is not restricting us. He's freeing us to be all we can be. And see, if we love someone the way that God loves us, we may end up getting in their face or maybe on their back, humbly, reluctantly. But to be for someone means to identify with them, to cheer them on, to celebrate their victories, and to mourn their setbacks. It means we deeply and sincerely want God's best for them. Not their best. God's best for them. And we grieve them when they fail in life. And this is the way that God loves us. And it's the way that he wants us to love one another. That's the sequel. He loves us, therefore... We're to love one another the same way. Unconditional love that cheers each other on. Secondly, unconditional love enjoys and delights in one another. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. We gave that to our youngest daughter as her life verse. He will rejoice over you with singing. Imagine the God of the entire universe, the God who created the stars at the command of his voice, rejoices over you and me with singing. Just steep on that a minute. Right now, he rejoices over us with singing. God loves you. He takes great delight in you. And if that doesn't cause you to smile, you should check your pulse. God doesn't just love you because he has to. That's not who he is. He loves you because he wants to love you. God delights in you. He delights in you. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that he delights in everything that you and I do. My mom didn't do that with me. I didn't do that with the, my daughters when they were growing up. I still don't do that with them, okay? And I'm sure you don't do that either. But the fact is, we even exist is very, very good in God's eyes. He created us in his image. God likes to love you and me. He likes that. Psalm 17, 8, David speaks of God watching him as the apple of his eye. You are the apple of God's eye. His eyes are always fixed on us because in all of creation, we're his favorite things. We're it. 
Oh, God sees that we're sinful. He sees we make mistakes. He sees that we reject him. He sees that. But he still chooses to unconditionally love us. It's not that God doesn't see our warts. It's not that he doesn't see our wickedness. It's just when God looks at us, our faults aren't all that he sees. He sees way more than that. He sees who we are intended to be, who we one day will become. You see, unconditional love insists that the one loved ought to be loved. And he loves you with such a pure love that God thought you were worth dying for. He thought I was worth dying for. His desire for all of us is that we would embrace his love for us in Jesus Christ. And in this relationship then, fulfill our potential in this life. So when we commit to love one another as God loves, we are committing to letting God help us see that other person through his eyes, through the compassionate eyes of Jesus, through his perspective. We look past the annoying pettiness, we look past the resentment, and we jump up and down with excitement over what someone can become what they can become. We don't simply love out of duty or out of obligation. And thirdly, last, unconditional love gives and serves one another. Giving is to love what eating is to hunger. Giving is to love what eating is to hunger. Giving is how a godly love satisfies itself. Back to 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. You see, unconditional love is a verb of sacrificial action. Without acts of servanthood, unconditional love has no skeletal structure, nothing to support itself. Now, Eros love, go back to Eros love for a minute, okay, finds giving really easy at first. Like when Brian and I were first dating, I remember Brian would bring me all kinds of cards. My love language is words of affirmation, and he'd bring me all kinds of cards, you know, like five, six dollar cards. You know, they have like all kinds of really cool things, and he'd write sweet things in there, okay? Favorite flowers, he'd bring my favorite flowers, and they were pretty expensive because my favorite flower is Bird of Paradise, and so, you know, he'd have to take me to Maui. It's a good thing. (laughs) Right, Um, And I loved Gravira daisies, but he'd bring those home, right? Dark chocolate is one of my favorites, so he'd bring some, like, Godiva chocolate home for me. And I remember, you know, my very favorite, guacamole and chips. So he would bring that and avocados. And and so it was so great. There were foot rubs. I love my feet rub, right? And there are back scratches. And that would just flow effortlessly in the stages of our relationship in the beginning, Effortlessly in the stages in the beginning. 
And now we've been married 32 years. See, Eros may give in the beginning, but only when it expects to get back. That's what Eros love is. But unconditional love is always focused on giving, even if it's costly to do so. And you know, one of the hardest places to flesh out unconditional love is in our own marriages. We need to pattern our love for each other after Jesus' sacrificial love for us. We're to love one another in a way that's focused on sacrificial giving because that's the way God loved us. Let me tell you how I learned that a little bit in my marriage excerpt from my book. God used the little things to finally transform my behavior. It all started with a squeegee. Yes, I'm talking about an implement edged with rubber for removing water from windows. My engineer husband had purchased a super-duper squeegee to scrape the water droplets from our master bathroom's glass shower. And he did a yeoman's job as he meticulously swabbed, wiped, swished away any possible hint of moisture. He strongly suggested I do the same. <laughs> Since it would help keep mildew and mold from growing. That's a great idea, I thought, in theory. But when he traveled for business, my reasoning unraveled. <laughs> One day isn't going to make any difference. I'm running late. I'll squeegee tomorrow. After all, he's in Germany. It's not like we're going to be video chatting while I'm in the shower. I mean, he'll never know anyway. I noticed my rationalization didn't just last for a day. It took four days to come to my senses. As I was toweling off, I heard God whisper, Margo, you're a Colossians 3 chick. Remember, you're working for me. It's my unconditional love. You're not working for man. You're not even working for your husband. You're doing this for me. You're serving me. I am telling you, I grabbed that squeegee with attention to detail. I voraciously rubbed horizontally, vertically with care, and the expertise of a professional window washer. That decision felt good. Not only did it feel good, but it was good. I was doing the next right thing. To this day, I am a top-notch professional squeegee-er. <laughs> Very rarely do I listen to my old rationalization cassette tape. But if it starts to play, I make sure to push pause. Unconditional love. Jesus says it's when you give your life away. Then is when you find it. When you give your life away. Then is when you find it. There are so many at Christmas time who need to know that God loves them. Maybe that's you tonight. He loves you unconditionally. You can't earn his love. You can't try to be good enough to receive his love. Nothing you can do and everything that he is 
The source of love is himself, not the object of his love. You and I can't provoke him. We can't trick him, convince, earn, or win God's love. His nature and his character compel him to express complete, unconditional love toward you and me. God is love. Nothing in you causes him to love you any more or any less than he does right now. And then someone needs to know that God is for you. He's for you. Maybe you grew up never knowing that. God is for you. He pursues you. He sees your potential and is rooting you on to finish well. Remember, it doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. He desires for you to experience his unconditional love, not just once, but moment by moment by moment in an ongoing relationship with him. The story of Christmas is the story of God's relentless love for us. And then someone desperately needs me to tell them that God delights in you. God delights in you. That he enjoys you. That he actually loves having you around. In fact, if he had an iPhone, your picture would be on his lock screen. <laughs> he sends you flowers every spring, sunrise every morning. And whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. And that's really good for us women because we speak 25,000 words a day. <laughs> and he'll listen. And he wonderfully sees not just your mistakes, but he sees who you will become in relationship with him, your potential. But most of all, you need to know that God loves you with such an unconditional love that he personally sent you an amazing Christmas gift, his son Jesus, born in Bethlehem, God in flesh, so he could die in your place for the forgiveness of your sin, all of it, past, present, and future. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose to live in your heart. But you need to choose him. You need to choose his unconditional love. He's yours just for the believing, it says in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. That means just as if you never sinned. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And if you've never personally received Jesus, this incredible, indescribable gift as he's described in the Bible, there's no time like the present. Like right now. He's been calling your name and he wants you to respond. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to do anything. Just climb into this prayer as I'm praying it. Dear Jesus, I have been searching for unconditional love. And it's hard to imagine that a personal unconditional love and grace is being given freely to someone like me. But tonight, I don't have to search anymore because I found it in you. 
I have found it in you. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my own ways and establish your unconditional love in and through me. I'm really, really excited to celebrate your birth in my life personally this Christmas. And by the way, if you just climbed into that prayer with me, we have an amazing getting started packet for you. As you leave, it's right underneath the sound booth. Just take one. Just take one. And for those of you who know Jesus personally, have you moved on with him? Have you moved on to knowing him passionately and powerfully and preeminently over your life? That means he's over your thoughts. He's over your decisions. He's over your marriage. He's over your family. He's over your career. He's over your ministry. He's over your finances. You know, Christmas is a wonderful time to celebrate Jesus' birth, but maybe you tend to just remember him more at the holidays. Jesus wants to be remembered, but he wants to be intimately involved in your daily life. He's always desiring a deeper, more interactive love relationship with you. And the byproduct is the unconditional love will be evident in you and it will spill onto others around you. What we just learned is unconditional love that cheers and enjoys and delights and gives and serves others. And there's, there's that more than a Hallmark movie, the sequel. Since God unconditionally loved us, we also ought to unconditionally love one another. Only then can we truly begin to understand what it means to celebrate his birth. Watch the video. It's your time of the year, Jesus! Wow, thanks guys, but this is a little weird. Weird? What do you mean? We do this every year. Yes, but I haven't seen you all year. Well, now's your time to shine, Jesus. Yeah, you put the Christ in Christmas. Well, yeah, you're the reason for the season. Yes, but I don't want to be the reason for just this season. I want to be with you in every season of your life. Oh, that is so sweet, Jesus. Thank you for being born. You're such a cute little baby. Away okay, in a manger, but I'm not a baby anymore. No and I'm not in a manger. Okay, I'm in a manger. But it's more than that. I want a relationship with you every day. Well, Jesus, you have Easter to look forward to. Yeah, and technically a day around the flagpole of prayer, right? Oh, and Thanksgiving, <sighs> kind of yours too. Yeah, but I want more than just the holidays, guys. I want an everyday relationship with you. Jesus, you are in my life every day. I mean, I've got a cross on my wall and a fish on my car. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, we know you're here all year long. If you know I'm here all year long, why do you keep treating me like I'm not? Do you still have that plastic, Jesus? Funny but very poignant, isn't it? He said, I want more than the holidays. I want an everyday relationship with you. They said, well, we know you're here all, all year long. And then he says, well, why do you keep treating me like I'm not? I know I did that for years. 
I treated him like he wasn't here. Well, I'd hope he was here when he needed like a magic god, get me out of something, or needed something, or wanted to make a deal with him. But he wants to have that intimate love relationship, unconditional love, that he just wants to pour in and through you so you can pour it over on each other. That's the sequel. So let's end in prayer as we call the worship band out again. Jesus, may we never ever settle for saying that just Christmas is your time of year. And meanwhile, we haven't even talked to you all year. God, forgive us. Forgive us for treating you like a decoration. You aren't just the reason for this season. You want to be in every season of our lives. A relationship with you every day. You want more than just holidays because you're here all the time. You're always pursuing us. You promise that you will never, ever leave us. You will never, ever forsake us. So forgive us for treating you like you're not. We can't experience your unconditional love and pass it on to others unless we're close to you. You never move. It's we that slide down the bench. May your unconditional love be so evident to us and evident in us and flowing through us this Christmas time and all throughout the year. God, change our hearts. May we receive that unconditional love tonight and henceforth because of what you did on Christmas and at the cross. May we always, always remember the sequel, God. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.